That guy is worth so many millions because he came up with that phrase. You know, it's uh, one of those things you hear, you get inspired. You know, some kind of a battle is coming next. You know, in this case, the the sermon is not a battle that you're going to watch. It's a battle that you're going to be in. You say, well, who's your opponent? Well, depending on how you respond, you're going to face different kinds of opponents. But the person who's saying this to you is actually God. And he's looking at you this morning, an hour less sleep. And he's saying, let's get ready to rumble. You know, as we begin, I want to ask you a question All right, Graham, clicker's not, there it goes, I turned it off. There we go. Who are you? Now, I'm not saying, who do you want people to believe that you are? Not what your profile on the social media says that you are. Not what your resume claims that you are, not your personal highlight reel through all the months and years of your life. That's that's really not the question I'm asking this morning. The question I'm asking is, who are you really? When no one else is around, or maybe just those that you're most familiar with, maybe your spouse your kids, you know, because they see a side that you, you don't show Sunday morning at church. You know, who were you in the car ride on the way to church? Who are you? That's the question. Now, see, why, why would God pick a fight with you or me? Because God loves you. And he's trying to make you into the likeness of his son and so, sort of okay character isn't okay with God. Now, the amazing thing about our God in heaven is he loves you unconditionally, even when you're at your absolute worst moments. So, it's not a performance thing like, well, I have to be really good so God loves me. No, God loves you whether you're really bad or really good that day. So, that's a good news. So, it's not about performing well. We're talking about who you really are. And this morning we're going to study a man named Jacob. And to give you a little background about Jacob, uh, Jacob was a twin. Uh, when he was born, he was the younger of the twins. Uh, but it was prophesied that the younger is going to serve the older. And so, you know, twins tend to be really competitive. And, and so Jacob and Esau had a rough relationship. But, you know, let, let's just start and we're going to answer the question for Jacob. Who are you? And in Genesis 25, it says the boys grew up in verse 27. And Esau became a skillful hunter, man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 
Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Now, just pause for a moment. Pretend you have no idea what happens next. Twin brothers. Twin brothers out hunting. Didn't catch anything. And he's starving. He comes in. Brother, that food smells so good. I'm starving. Please give me some food. Now, what do you think? If you didn't know this story, what would you think came next? You know, my first inkling would be something like, sure, bro, sit down and have something to eat. And what comes out of Jacob's mouth is so in your face, you're like, wait, you have to reread it. Like, really, That's, that was your answer? Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Love you, bro. But just sell me the birthright, then I'll give you something to eat. His brother is needy. His brother is hungry. And Jacob, the loving, loyal twin brother that he is, his answer was, I'll meet your need, but you've got to sell me your birthright first. You're like, who would do that? Who would answer that way? Ah, Jacob would. You know, because this is Jacob the deceiver, and that's where he starts. And uh, that's actually what his name means, which is kind of interesting. You know, parents, when you're going through the baby name books, got an idea. Let's name our son Deceiver. That, That was his name, so he lived up to it. So he's the deceiver. So then you get a little bit later. So he's already got his birthright. And now his father, Isaac, is going to die. And so his mom comes up with this plan to trick her husband into giving the blessing to the younger son instead of the older son. So they come up with this elaborate scheme and, okay, I'll prepare the food just right. And it's like, yeah, but I'm a, you know, my brother's really hairy. Okay, we'll take goat skins and we'll, we'll put them on your arms. You know, isn't it amazing sometimes the stupid things that we do and how much energy we put into our stupidity? Or money or hours or whatever. But in this case, it's like goat skins and they're, they're cooking the meal right and all that. And, of course, you know, he goes in and Isaac's like, I don't know, I'm not buying this. Like, how would you get back from the field? So quickly, and and listen to what he says, chapter 27, verse 20. How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success. They say, who would say something like that to their dad? You've got this whole scheme of lies to try and get this blessing And then your father, the one that you know, that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God, he says, the Lord your God. Oh, he gave me success. Like, who in the world would answer their father that way? God blessed me. Well, Jacob would. Because he was a deceiver. 
You know, the thing about when you answer the question, who are you? You find out who you are at the most pressure-filled, contentious, hectic schedule moments of your life. When life squeezes you, you will resort to your default mode. Now, i got to tell you, as a, as a minister, you will never succeed spiritually by thinking, in my moments of great spiritual battle, I will flick the doing well spiritually switch. And so, yeah, I know I'm not really walking with God. I'm not all that committed. But if I get in a rough situation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flick the turbo boost spiritual switch, and I will do great. Never found that to be true. Your spiritual nature will trump who you are every time. It'll, when, when life gets pressure-filled, you will go to default mode. So Jacob starts his life as the deceiver. You know, here's the picture I, I, I picked for him. He said, well, I'm not, I'm not like Jacob. I do not lie or deceive. I mean, Jacob, he was a terrible, terrible spiritual example. I am not like him at all. No, but you know what? We have our ways of combating confrontation. You know, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's the passive aggressive. We just shut down. That's who I was. Avoid confrontation at all costs. So if my wife's feelings are hurt. If I just run the other way, we won't fight because that will probably help the situation. I just want, I wanted to keep peace. That was my, my way. It was like my husbandry leadership was just keep peace at all costs. So there might be a really important battle to pick, but then that might be a really long emotional talk, and I certainly don't want to go there. So we'll just say everything's okay. You know, we all have our, our system. Jacob, he would just lie. You know the scariest thing about lying? Is that a lot of times it works. And we go, see? I didn't get caught. And we even justify it sometimes. Oh, it was, it was a little white lie. It wasn't, wasn't a really bad lie. It was just like a little lie. No, it's our go-to and our character. And so we've got our way of coping. We've got our way of negotiating life. And it's our system. Okay. Now we have ba- we have backup plans, and and Jacob had that too. And we see a little bit later in his life in in uh, Genesis twenty eight, Jacob then goes to his next mode, which is the negotiator. And uh, Genesis twenty eight, he has this. He's running for his life. He's going to his uncle, and he lays down from exhaustion. He has this amazing dream, and he sees the angels going up and down. And look at this in verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took a stone, he placed it under his head, and set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now, if you have this kind of a vision... And, and you are communicating directly with God, and you're seeing angels up and down, and you get done with that, and you're like, this is the most incredible spiritual experience I ever have. 
then you, now you think, okay, what, what would come next? Maybe something like, God, that was so amazing. I'm with you, heart and soul. I, I give up everything. I'm totally sold out to you. I'm yours. I'm being committed my whole life. Not Jacob, because he's a negotiator. And that's the answer to, you know, who, who are you? What's he say? And Jacob made a vow saying, what's the first word he says back to God after having this incredible experience? If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now think about that dialogue for a moment. God has just unveiled his glory. It's incredible. And the first thing he says is, if you'll be with me, then I'll actually pick you to be my God. You will have the privilege of me choosing you as my God. And you know what? I'll, I'll even up that even one better. I'll, I'll give you a tenth. Like, who is this guy? And who, who are we? How do we handle ourselves? He's like, if God will do this, then this. You ever make bargains with God? Okay, God. If you give me this job, okay, God, I need this class to graduate. If you get me somehow into that class, then if you give me that beautiful girl from Santa Clarita, just hypothetically, but you know what? We make bargains all the time because we actually think we're going to negotiate with God. You ever done that? Okay, God, if you work this out, if, if you fix this mess I'm in, if you do that, if you really come through, then you know what? I will choose you. Like, see how the shoe's on the other foot? But when you're a negotiator, you never see life that way. Our, our youngest son was born a negotiator. Like, Hey, can I do this? And if the reply was no, let me tell you the next part of the conversation involves some form of negotiation. It was obviously I didn't make a thorough case. And so I will proceed convincing you why no is really not an appropriate answer. You know, maybe you're the negotiator. Everything's a bargain. Everything's a deal. You, want, you, you know, you're trying to control the outcome. Here's a picture, you know, that, uh, that I use for this. You know, what's amazing is, is Jacob was in a situation he created by his deceit. God is coming to his rescue instead of just falling down going, you're amazing, I'm here. He still wants to negotiate the deal. You know, watch the show, let's make a deal. How many deals have you negotiated in life? That were like the worst choice you ever made. And you thought at the time it was going to be so amazing. And then you look back and go, how in the world did I get myself there? 
You know, that's just Je- that's just Jacob's life. Well, let's continue on with with his story. You know, as often happens when you resort to your default mode in your character, and you're trying, you know, the ways to work the system, and you tried deception, and that didn't work, and then and now now you're trying to negotiate with the creator of the universe. And God can outstubborn the best of us. And so, you know, God waits patiently, but he's about character development. Isn't it amazing how we're in all these self-created messes and hardships? And then we transition into the victim. And so we're now in Genesis 29. And the story goes, so he goes to his uncle and falls in love with Rachel. And so he is convinced she's the one, and her father says, work for me seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. And so he's all fired up. He works for her seven years. They have the wedding ceremony. And don't I, I don't understand how this can happen, but he wakes up after the marriage ceremony and the honeymoon night, and it was her sister. Don't know. It must be veiled completely because of the eyes. I, I don't know how that happens. So anyway, he's now married to the wrong sister. So then Laban's like, hey, it's not proper to give the younger away to the older one's married. So you know what? You work another seven years. I'll give you Rachel. He's like, fine, but I want to marry her now. But, but look at his response in verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, isn't it amazing how God is creative in his formation of our character? So here's the guy named Deceiver. He's tricked his dad, tricked his twin brother. But, of course, those were just, you know, little blips on his spiritual life scale. But when it's done to him, don't you hear the whining loud? You ever been in one of those situations with your character where you're confronted by the same character issue that you're guilty of? And and you're like, what? What is going on here? I can't believe how somebody treated me. What have you done to me? Why have you treated me this way? Oh, I'm so glad you came to really deep conviction after you've been guilty of it in huge ways. Now, see, God's very creative, so he's working on your character. He's working on my character. And and here's a picture I, I picked for that. You know, so you, so you ever tried to escape your character? You know, sometimes we think, I know what, I need a change of location. If I just move to a different city, then that will fix it. But you know what, it never works. You know why? Because wherever you move, you bring you with you. If you could somehow move and not bring you with you, you'd have a chance of success, but it never works. And so you go, that's it. I need a radical change. You know why? Because your character is starting to close in on you, and it's chasing you. It's chasing you. And he comes after it. And now, this is later in his life, so he's now leaving Laban. He's plundered his uncle. He's got all this wealth and everything. And now he's leaving him to kind of set up his own home with his, his two wives and 
maidservants and all the kids and livestock and all that. And he gets news that Esau, I remember how, that's his twin brother, remember how they left their communication. I have stolen your birthright. I deceived my dad and got your older brother blessing. See ya. That's the last time they saw each other face to face. And so they send him word, hey, your brother Esau is coming to meet you. So then we get to chapter 32, and it says this. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He finally humbles out, but you see even the, the negotiating. You know, he's, like, he's used to work in the system. So he's going to face Esau. So what's he do? Okay, we're going to divide in different groups. And so, okay, at the very least, he'll be able to attack one but not the other. And so he's still, he's still thinking, okay, I got this great plan. But he finally says, oh, God, save me. You know, when God is ready to rumble, we're not going to outrun him. We're not going to stay, stay stubborn long enough that he'll forget about us and move on. If we got something hidden away that we're hoping God doesn't notice, God says, no. Let's get ready to rumble. And God eventually hems you in. And the walls start closing in. So there's nowhere else to turn. Oops. I hit it twice. There. Rocky three. Clubber, what's your prediction for the fight? My prediction? Pain. Great quote. Rocky three, that was the best of all the all the ones, by the way. But Ro- Rocky three was awesome. You know what, I I learned a long time ago that when you humble yourself, it's a lot less painful than when God does the humbling. But we've been trying to do it our way with our go-to modes and our character. We've been trying to weasel around and get there. And and God's finally like, all right, it's really time for you and I to meet. And so God works it out. And I love how it's it's phrased. So this is now the night before that he's going to go and meet Esau. And look at what verse 21 says. It says, so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Isn't that an interesting way to phrase it? Jacob's gifts went ahead of him. His system, his security, his great plan. All that went ahead of him, and God will do that where he he will just take you, and he'll strip all that away, and he'll go, okay, Now it's just you and me. And then verse 24, it says, 
So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, but his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Say, what what an incredible battle. Says God got him all alone. And then the rumble began. And Jacob's wrestling with an angel. In the one that would give in to deception, the one that would try and negotiate his way out, the one who was a victim and running for his life, he reached a point where he said, I will not let go. I promise you, when you are fighting for your character, and changing the answer to the first question, which is, who are you? When you're working on that part, and when God is working on you, you're going to have some painful moments. You're going to have struggles where you feel like, this cannot get any harder. I've tried long enough. I've worked on this for a year. I've worked on this for five years. I've worked on this for ten years. And God's not going away. Because the character hasn't been changed yet. And you know what he's looking for? You know when things came to an end? When Jacob said, I will not let go. Now the angel's like, fine, I'm going to wrench your hip forever. Bam. So he walked with a limp the rest of his life. But the battle ended. Those painful moments of character battle. Sometimes you walk with the limp forever. But God has a different name in store for you. See, what Satan actually wants you to believe is that who you are with all your weaknesses and that, that you're just kind of stuck with that forever. And so the parts of who you are and your character that you don't like, you know what Satan wants you to believe? Well, it's hopeless. You're never going to change anyway. No, God says just the opposite. He said, "I I love you too much. So I'm going to work on your life. So as we close, here's a question for you. How is God wrestling with you right now? What fight are you in the middle of? You know, for some of us, we're still like in that negotiating victim phase. And we're trying to do every God, God is like closing in on us. And we're trying to run away. God just keeps coming. You know, for others of us, maybe we've been studying the Bible and we saw some things about our life, and we're called to change. But we don't want to change. It's going to take a lot of effort. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes time. And we're like, I just, I, I just want to be a good guy. But I don't want to have to change. And God's like, sorry, you're in the octagon with me. He goes, the only way out is to fight. Oh, you may walk with a limp, but it's worth it. God's got a new name waiting for you. But it's your battle. 
I got my battles. You got your battles. It's between you and God. But we need to be honest with ourselves and say, who are we? And what is it that God is trying to change inside of us? Let's learn from Jacob. He became the overcomer. Oh, he had, he had to wrestle. But he became Jacob the overcomer. I want to close with a quote. So happens, this is a, a guy from the University of Iowa. Uh, Dan Gable. He was the University of Iowa wrestling coach for a number of years. They won 15 NCAA championships under Dan Gable. I actually had a, had a chance to hear him uh, speak uh, a few different times. Very, very motivating. Went through a lot of tragedies in his life and used that as motivation to wrestle. Um, he lost one wrestling match his entire life. And it was the NCAA championships in the finals of his senior year. He lost to the same guy that he had beaten, uh, I believe, 17 times. But there's one guy out there, I don't remember his name, but could say, I beat Dan Gable. But here's a quote from him. He said, pain is nothing compared to what it feels like to quit. Give everything you've got today, for tomorrow may never come. He lived this out. I remember one of my buddies when I was in college there was on the wrestling team. And I'm like, all right, tell me some Coach Gable stories. And so he was telling some stories and stuff like that. And he goes, I remember once we were, we were driving home from Oklahoma on the bus and we lost a dual meet that we should have won. And uh, Coach Gable was upset. And he goes, so it was Sunday night about 11 o'clock at night. And he said to the driver of the bus 10 miles from town, he said, pull over. And he said, everybody off the bus. He goes, meet me in the gym in an hour for practice and don't be late. He has hard line. But he turned out some great wrestlers. You know what? God is amazing at how he works. And the challenge we face is us. Who are you? God has a great vision and dream for your new name. But you're going to have to fight with him to get there. Not in a malicious way. He's molding you and shaping you into the likeness of his son. Let's learn from Jacob and his story. Let's be inspired by him, and let's get ready to rumble with God. Let's stand as we close in one final song.